Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Lord, it's been so good to worship you this morning, to lift you high, to declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you've defeated every enemy, and Lord, we feel so secure in your presence, so blessed to be part of this family, Lord. And Lord, we pray that the power of God will go forth from this place. We pray, Lord, that the gospel will go forth from us with great power, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor. We thank you, Lord. There is one name that holds weight above them all. We thank you, Lord. Your fame will outlast the world you made, Lord, the cosmos you made. We give you praise this morning, Lord. Amen. I called this, and next time, Our House, because I want to talk about this church, this newly commissioned apostolic base. That is far more significant than perhaps some of us realize. Um, This place will become established as as a real strong tower, a strong tower of spirit and word of hope and healing, of gift and grace, of strength and security. And uh, I just want to just begin by reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul writes, some of you will know this verse very well, I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news, I am not ashamed of our good news. Are you ashamed of our good news? We have great news. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it not only has, it is God's power. Doesn't just contain power. The gospel is power. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And so even this morning, as I want to um, share a lot of good news, share a lot of gospel this morning. Um, There's power present amongst us this morning for salvation, total salvation, salvation of of soul, salvation of spirit, salvation of body, salvation of emotion, salvation of your ambition, salvation of your destiny, restoring the past. There's power present this morning because because this morning we're all about gospel we know there is only one gospel and um, I think Paul talks on three or four occasions about my gospel he he doesn't mean anything other than the gospel but I think what he's expressing is this this gospel has been revealed to me in fact he says it's been revealed in me and Paul was so caught up in a sense of ownership, sense of entrustment, a sense that his whole life and ministry had to be given to the preaching of this gospel, that it was my gospel. So so please understand that, because I'm going to use that phrase, because it's the the way the Lord spoke it to me, but um, it doesn't mean anything of independence. 
Um, if it means anything, it means um, that these are the fundamentals of the good news. These are the um, foundational and, and apostolic doctrines that um, they're already laid down, but they will increasingly be. And, and some, some, aspect, some aspects of this are distinctive things, are, are principles and emphases that we would say, yeah, that describes our house. Um, maybe that's another way of putting it. These are the things that will define our house. They're the beliefs, they're the principles, they are the practices. In some ways, it's the culture, it's the values that are and will be found here. Um, as I said at the beginning, it, it is not yet filled out. There's much more to see and experience. But I pray that in, in doing this this way, revelation will break out amongst us. We will ourselves this morning experience Romans 1.16. This gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The first thing I want to say is my gospel embraces the full and final authority of the word of God. And the progressive, but I, I believe in the progressive revelation of the word by the spirit. The word of God is eternal, is um, living and active, is unfailing and true and flawless. The word of God defeats sin. The word of God gives life. Uh, and, and my gospel, our gospel, in this house, we embrace that. But we also embrace mystery. There are some things, there are many things that are revealed and are ours. But there are things that are secret things and belong to God. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29, by the way. The secret things belong to God. And it's really vital in my gospel that we hold some things in tension. There are some mysteries. We don't understand everything. And neither do we need to for it to be true and authoritative and reliable in our lives. The Word of God. My gospel upholds a literal interpretation of Genesis 1 to 3. That God created all things through Christ. That he created mankind in his own image and likeness. That created mankind separate and distinct from the animals. That he created one kind of human being with two expressions, male and female. That Adam exchanged the truth for a lie and rebelled against the authority of God's word to him and thus brought sin to all mankind and made a way for evil to corrupt our world. My gospel acknowledges the reality of the heavenly realms and understands that there was a rebellion in the angelic ranks that preceded the fall of mankind. The devil was cast out of God's presence, along with a host of his angels. He has been in conflict with God's purpose and God's people from Eden onwards. My gospel upholds the establishment in creation of marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman. 
as the essential unit of stable society, as the antidote to aloneness, as the only proper context for any sexual intimacy, and as the means of fruitfulness, and above all, as a picture of Christ and his church. Ephesians 5, 32. My gospel understands that there is a God-ordained order and authority in the Godhead, in the universe, in the heavenly realms, in marriage, in the church. God's order and arrangement doesn't create a hierarchy so much as simply puts everything in its proper place. It's an order and an authority that brings peace, brings security, brings a proper function to all things. In the church, order and authority expressed principally through the government of apostles and elders. In marriage, through loving headship, and loving, willing submission. In prayer and prophecy, through the uncovering and covering of the head, which is also an acknowledgement of the angelic realm. My gospel affirms, without any hesitation, that embracing and honoring godly authority and headship is liberating and life-giving. Amen. Is this your gospel? Is this our gospel? My gospel concerns Jesus Christ. He is the creator and finisher. He is the alpha and omega. He is head over all things, Ephesians 1.22. All scripture concerns him, Luke 24.27. He's the last Adam. He's the second man. He's the cornerstone and capstone of the church. He is the word made flesh, John 1. He is also the final word, Hebrews 1. He's the embodiment of the Father's message of love for his creation. Our gospel is centered on Christ. My gospel declares that on the cross, we've sung about this this morning, Jesus triumphed over every enemy. That the conflict, the prophetic word reminded us of this this morning. The conflict, that conflict that had been in place from from the beginning, reached its climax on the cross. The Lord of life drew every evil power upon himself, into himself. He died under their weight. But he was raised to life by the Spirit. And he defeated, he disarmed, he disabled, he dethroned every enemy. The ruler of this world has been cast out. And Jesus Christ has been crowned with many crowns. King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the undisputed head and healer. Of the universe. Amen. Amen. My gospel proclaims that by this triumphant work on the cross, 
by his glorious crowning, Jesus has brought forth a new order of mankind. Because now all men, including everybody in this room, can be born again. Born from above, John 3. Rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's own Son. There is hope for everyone. There is a brand new start for everyone. There is a new creation in Christ. Or as Ephesians 2 describes it, a new species of redeemed mankind that has now been brought forth. Hallelujah. My gospel announces total salvation. By which I mean the ability of every person to live fruitfully and powerfully as a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This new birth, this fresh start, requires as a necessity, Acts 2.38, repentance and faith. Baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and meaningful addition to the church. And by these four essential steps, we're fully saved. That means we're saved from eternal death. We're saved by baptism, and somebody's going to be baptized this morning, and we'll be saved from the power of the past. Baptism in the Spirit saves us from powerlessness now and in the future. And being added to the church saves us from going it alone. Trying to make it it work independently, individually. Now we can live as God originally intended in close fellowship with the Father and continually drawing near through the disciplines and devotions. Matthew 6 is, is great at describing some basic things here. Giving praying, fasting, and being devoted to the word. My gospel embraces the the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, he was there at the beginning, Genesis 1-2. He worked in and through God's people in the Old Testament, loads of references. He led, he anointed, and he empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And at Pentecost, Jesus sent his spirit to live within us, to lead us, to guide us, to fill us, to empower us for our mission in this age. We need the baptism in the spirit for our mission in this age. We have no need for it in the age to come. We we need it in this age. We'll come to that in just a second. My gospel announces... That the kingdom of God, his glorious rule, his peaceful reign, addresses every human need and is coming on earth in this present age so that what's already in heaven, peace, health, wholeness, justice, righteousness, will be on earth. Just as Jesus prayed and just as Jesus taught us to pray, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. The triumph of Christ 
over the domain of darkness and the advance of God's kingdom means good news, hope, healing for everybody. And my gospel announces that God's purpose is to restore all things back to his original intention. And therefore, we affirm a positive, optimistic, hope-filled view of the end times. Amen. I thought you'd be a bit more excited than this. My gospel, our gospel, the gospel that's been preached and laid down in this house and will be so, declares that the church is the masterpiece of all God's creative work. Ephesians 2.10. For she is the community of the redeemed. Those born again, called out from every tribe and language and people and nation, Revelations 5.9. The church is the expression of God's nature. And Ephesians 2.22 says, says we are the dwelling place of his spirit. The church is the dwelling place of the spirit on the earth. I believe the church that's being built by Christ is the dynamic expression of all believers everywhere. There's one church. And that one church is expressed by gathering in every locality, by gathering from house to house, but she's one church. And because of this inherent unity, my gospel opposes denominationalism, which divides the church by claiming an identity based on something less than the beautiful whole. Denominationalism. There's a a spirit that comes to divide the church. But the church is one. My gospel affirms that the triumphant ascended Christ has given personal gifts to his church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these, what we call five-fold gifts, train and equip believers for their ministry so the body can be built up, Ephesians 4.12, so that we can reach unity and maturity. A practical unity. There's an inherent unity. These gifts are the way we will reach practical unity of the faith. They're expressions of God's grace. And they're given as as the means by which the church grows and matures. and, And therefore they're to be fully embraced. Apostles and prophets provide the vital foundations of revelation in the church. But we cannot reach our destiny without the effective functioning of all of these gifts. They are integral to the ultimate goal, which is the fullness of Christ in his church 
and the fullness of Christ in the universe. Ephesians 4.10. My gospel acknowledges that the ministry of the apostle is in the spearheading of the planting, the establishing, and the building up of churches, and that there's an apostolic authority that's necessary to accomplish this task. But such authority is never authoritarian and is always exercised with all humility and through grace. I believe an apostle will value and embrace a partnership with the churches in outworking their commission, his commission. Philippians 1.5. By my gospel, the apostle appoints male elders in every church to represent him in their locality as an extension of his continuing government, fatherly care, and missionary zeal. And my gospel declares that every believer should be part of a local church, and every church should have the blessing, security, and care of apostolic oversight and godly eldership, and that to remove any aspect of this God-ordained order and authority is to leave a church and its people unprotected. I'm just putting it out there. My gospel sees all leadership as servanthood. We serve the flock of God and we're accountable to the chief shepherd. It's the greatest entrustment and privilege. No servant is greater than his master. I think it says behind me there's no big shots. None is above any other. All are servants, each with their own limited part to play. We therefore put great emphasis on the need for teamwork, on the basis of our respective gifts, our different graces, our different measures. We value healthy friendships that are devoid of jealousy and competition, and we seek to maintain the highest standards of personal and ministerial ethics so as to be above reproach. I just got four or five more things to say. My gospel sees the church as a very, very, very gifted body. (laughs) Really gifted. So, so gifted. With every believer devoted to the cause, finding their place in a local expression. And using their God-given gender, God-given character, God-given gifts, God-given abilities to play their part to the full, their unique part in the life and mission of the church. And although oversight and government, according to my gospel, is restricted, gifting is not. And we make space for every man and every woman to flourish in their God-given gifting. Expressing the creative genius of God. My gospel declares that because the church is the dwelling place of the Spirit, every expression of it should be characterized by every spiritual gift and every spiritual fruit. 
and that to deny or suppress these charismatic expressions is to disfigure and disable the body. My gospel proclaims that the church is established on earth to continue Christ's mission, Christ's ministry in the power of his spirit, which is preaching the gospel, so many references here, healing the sick, driving out demons, raising the dead, lifting the downtrodden, championing the oppressed, helping the poor, confronting injustice, advancing God's kingdom and making disciples and experiencing day-by-day addition as we do so. My gospel sees that this mission is most effectively undertaken by the church under the direction of the fivefold gifts, under the care of godly eldership, and as part of an apostolic initiative. For God, who sent his word, sent his son, sent his spirit into the world, is now sending forth his church into all the world. My gospel sees the church as the gateway to heaven, It's a beautiful phrase in Genesis 28 when um, Jacob names the place where he's met with the Lord, Bethel, house of God. And he says, this is the gateway to heaven. My gospel sees the church as the gateway to heaven, as the visible expression and demonstration of God's kingdom on earth. And as such, we seek at all times to faithfully represent and demonstrate God's love for the world. That means we're very warm, very welcoming. That means visitors are expected and valued. It means we seek to do all things well with a sense of excellence. We're not a business, but we mean business. As God's covenant community, we place a really high value on unity, harmony, loyalty, faithfulness. We believe honor and respect should be given to one another, to parents, to leaders, to the Lord. My gospel doesn't tolerate gossip or slander or quarreling or jealousy or selfish ambition, for these things bring disorder and division to the body. My gospel embraces the godly stewardship of all things, expressed first in the giving of a tithe, a tenth that belongs to God, and the giving of it honors God and teaches us the fear of God, as well as providing the means for God to open the floodgates of heaven and bless us, expressed in the giving of tithes and offerings, expressed in a practical help for the poor and needy, Expressed in generosity at all times. Really generous. Don't you want our house to be so generous? Such givers. My gospel understands, and this is way more significant than perhaps we realize, that faithfulness in small matters leads to enlargement. Luke 16. That faithfulness in monetary matters, our handling of money, Our handling of material things 
results in God giving us true riches. Revelation and people. Literally, the way we handle our money has a determination for the true riches we receive. God wants to know he can trust us. We place a high value on good stewardship and we seek to be honorable in our handling of financial matters so that, as Paul says to the Corinthians, we may avoid all criticism. And finally, my gospel proclaims the restoration and the growth and the triumph of the church in this age, believing all nations will come to her and that Christ will return to raise the dead, to judge all things, and to be united with a pure, spotless, and radiant bride who has made herself ready. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.